Hello and thank you for joining me today on this episode of A Queer Road. Today we are going to talk about the history of the LGB community. Okay, so first we are going to talk about the three oldest organizations that helped, had helped the LGB community to get the rights they deserve and to fight the, against the injustices they faced. So these are the oldest nation, nations, lesbian and gay political advocacy organizations in the U.S. So the first organization is the Lambda Legal Defense and Education Fund. This was founded in 1973. Their mission was to undertake definitive legal battles to build a positive legal history for lesbian and gay people in civil rights and family laws. Moving on to the second oldest organization is the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, which was founded in the 1980s. They served as the movement's key lobbyists on AIDS issues and the voice on anti-gay violence. They became the LGBT movement's organization and media advocacy. And moving on to the third oldest organization is the National Center for Lesbian Rights. They help the lesbian community with legal cases such as these productive and adoption rights, employment, and benefit discriminations. These organizations really help the community, especially because during these times, being gay or lesbian was different or nor- normal. So many people didn't accept them. These organizations really helped them feel loved and accepted and appreciated. Now on to the history of the LGB community. Being homosexual has been around for years, since the 1800s. But during that time, people had to hide it since it was not normal. Fast forward to 1924. A German immigrant, Henry Herbert, founded the Society for Human Rights in Chicago. It was, this was the first documented gay rights organizations in the United States. They published a few newsletters named Friendship and Freedom, which were the United States' first gay entrance newsletter. Since it was the first gay newsletter, many people were not a big fan of it. And many people did not want any more newsletters coming out. Because of this, many people complained about it to the police. So the police came and invaded them, and which caused the group to disband in 1924. This was the last the United States heard of the LGB community until 30 years later in 1950, mainly because during the 1930s and the 1940s, the U.S. was in war, which was World War II. So, in 1950, the Madachine Foundation was founded. This was one of the nation's first gay rights groups. They wanted to improve the lives of gay men through discussion groups and activities. Because of this, another organization was formed, one, which was for lesbians. They published one, which was the United States' first pro-gay magazine. With all of this happening, many people wanted to know what was the meaning of being gay, what was the meaning of being lesbian, since this was all new to many people in the United States. Then, in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association listed homosexuality as a form of mental disorder. This really hurted the LGB community because this was not true. It made it seem like something was wrong with them, but in reality, nothing was wrong with them. Then, in 1953, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed an executive order that banned gay people from federal jobs that remained in effect for about 20 years. This really hurt the community because they couldn't have a job in the government because of what they liked. 
Despite all the negativity the community faced, organizations kept being founded and kept publishing newsletters and magazines. In 1955, Daughters of Bliss was founded and published a newsletter called The Ladder, which was the first lesbian publication. And in the same year, the Medicine Foundation published the United States' second gay publication, which was called The Machine Review. And now on to the 1960s. A big win for the LGB community happened in 1961, when Illinois became the first state to make being homosexual legal. Meanwhile, in New York, they made a law that gay men and women could not be served alcohol in public, and gathers of homosexuals were disorderly. This led to the sip-in in 1966 by members of the Mattachine Society. They visited Terrence and declared themselves gay and waiting to be turned away so they could sue. This resulted in much publicity and reversal of the anti-gay liquor laws. Then, in June 27 and 28 of 1969... New York police conducted a raid on a gay nightclub called Stonewall, which resulted in them beating and arresting many people who were there. Supposedly, the initial purpose of the raid was that Stonewall had a lack of liquor license, but the nightclub has been in business for three years already, and it was blocks away from the police department, which resulted in riots called the Stonewall Riots. By the end of 1969, the LGB community had taken a stand against the injustices they were facing. And the Stonewall riots helped the LGB community work for change in America. And they gained strength from support and awareness in the media as they fought for equal rights months after the riots. Then, in 1970, which was the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall riots, the community members of New York City marched through local streets to honor this event, which was known as the Christopher Street Liberation Day. It was the United States' first gay pride parade, and this resulted in many people turning into activists for the community, and they turned the pink triangle that the Nazis used to identify gay men during the Holocaust as a symbol of gay pride. Also, during this time, many people who were part of the LGB community got into high-position jobs, like Katie Kazachiko, who in 1974 became the first out American to be elected in public office. She wanted the flag that represented the community, so she asked her friend, Gilbert Baker, who designed and stitched the first rainbow flag, which he revealed at Gay Pride in 1978. A year later, October 14, 1979, the first National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights happened. After the march, hundreds of participants met with dozens of senators and representatives to express their support for gay rights. This show, this march show the country how large the LGBTQ community really was. Now, when everything was going so well for the community, the AIDS crisis came up in the 1980s. AIDS, which was a new illness to the world, came from the lifestyle of some male homosexuals, and people started calling it gay cancer. The numbers the number of people getting AIDS and the number of people dying grew, which caused nurses and doctors to become activists. By telling the world, AIDS patients need to be treated just like everyone else. The AIDS crisis really helped the LGB community by making the movement move forward. Not only were they fighting to get the rights they deserve, they were fighting for lives now. This forced people to come out, forced people to organize and fundraise the LGB organizations. Another big win for the LGB community during the 1980s was when the Dem Democratic National Convention officially put opposition to discrimination based on sexual orientation. 
This is the first major American political party to do so. And in New York, there were 71 openly gay delegates at the Democratic National Convention. Seven years later, in 1987, the second National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights happened. This was the largest political mobilization on gay, lesbian, and bisexual people in the United States history. Because of this march, a huge number of new national organizations were created. Many of them focused on the issues at workplaces. Some of the organizations that were created were National Gay and Lesbian Teachers Organization and the National Lawyers Association. They advocate for equality for gay, lesbian, and bisexual members in the workplace. Moving forward to the 1990s. In 1993, President Bill Clinton passed the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, which allowed gay men and women to serve in the military as long as they kept the sexuality a secret. Many members of the LGB community did not like this at all. They still had to keep their sexuality a secret, even when in reality they wanted to be able to be themselves and be accepted. In the same year, April 25th, 1993, the third largest march on Washington for lesbian and gay rights happened. And the reason for this march was because of this policy. And this policy wasn't repealed until September 20th, 2011. But in the, in the next year, 1994, a big one happened for the community. A new anti-hate crime law was issued, which allowed judges to impose harsher sentences if a crime was motivated by a victim's sexual orientation. This really benefited for the LGB community since many of them were getting beat for, their hom- for being homosexual. Then, in 1996, the Defense of Marriage Act was passed. This prevented the government from granting federal marriage benefits to the same-sex couples and allowed states to refuse to recognize same-sex marriage certifications from other states, but then was later repealed in 2013. Then, another big win happened for the community in 2003 where the U.S. Supreme Court in a trial of Lawrence versus Texas struck down the state's anti-Somedy law, which effectively discriminalized homosexual relations nationwide. A year later, in May 17, 2004, the first legal same-sex marriage took place in Massachusetts, and they became the first state to legalize gay marriage. Five years later, in 2009, President Barack Obama signed a new law called the Matthew Shepard Act, which extended the reach of the 1994 hate crime law. This happened in response to a 1998 murder of 21-year-old Matthew Shepard, who was pistol-whipped, tortured, tied to a fence, and left to die just because of his sexuality. Fast forward 10 years later, in June 2015, where the Supreme Court Rule states cannot ban same-sex marriage and make gay marriage legal throughout the United States. This was a huge win for the LGB community. They can finally marry who they want without hiding it. Then, in June 15, 2020, the Supreme Court ruled that the Provision Against Sex Discrimination laid out in Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act applied to the LGBTQ Americans that live in the United States. This was the biggest win for the LGBT community 
by far since the court ruled in 2015 in the fight to for decision decision that the 14th Amendment required all states to grant and recognize same-sex marriages. And that was the history of the LGB community fighting against the injustices they were facing here in America. Now, let's recognize some of the people who helped the community against these injustices and made the movement move forward. So first, we got Larry Comer. He was one of the first to sound the alarm for the HIV and AIDS crisis in 1981. He co-founded the advocacy groups Gay Men's Health Crisis and ACT UP, which coined the iconic Silence Equals Death logo that became a symbol for the AIDS crisis. They got neglected from the FDA and the U.S. government, which made them demonstrate with rage. They led demonstrations, blocked roads during rush hour, and staged dine-ins that grabbed the media's attention, eventually forcing the government to address the AIDS crisis and provide access to new treatment methods. He helped push Larry also helped push the FDA to eventually approve the use and distribution of experimental drugs that help save the lives of AIDS patients. He is one of the reasons why countless people are alive today. Next, we got Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay man elected to a political office in California in 1979. He helped start one of the first predominantly LGBTQ-owned business groups in the country, the Castro Village Association. While serving as the city supervisor, he introduced legislation to protect the gay community, including the Gay Rights Ordinance in 1978, to ban discrimination against LGBTQ in housing or employment. Him and other activists also succeeded in striking down the Proposition 6 which would have mandated the firing of any gay or lesbian teachers in California. And in 2009, President Obama awarded him with the Medal of Freedom to recognize his contributions as a trailblazing advocate for the LGBTQ community. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed. Stick around to hear about the injustices the LGB community faced with Callisto Campos. Hello everyone, my name is Calixto Campos and thank you for joining me on this episode of Queer Road. In this episode, we will be talking about the injustices that the LGB community has faced. If you don't know, the LGB community is the lesbian, gay, bisexual community. So we are, we are going to be talking about the, you know different things that happened to the LGBT community in the past or the present. So we will get started with 1996, June 28th, when the first Stonewall riot happened. So what were, what were the Stonewall riots? Well, it started in New York City. The police raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay club located in Greenwich Village in New York City. Back then, homosexuality was still illegal, essentially, and a lot of um, gay people, lesbian, bisexual people, they hung out at bars and clubs designated for them, almost like a safe, well, yes, it was a safe haven for um, the people at the time. 
and the police had a habit of raiding those places and arresting people just for being who they are. So the Stonewall Riots served as a catalyst for the gay rights movement in the United States and around the world. So before Stonewall, they were still fighting for the LGBT community. For example, in 1996, three years before Stonewall actually, um, there was a organization dedicated to gay rights called the Medicine Society. So what they did, they staged a sip-in where they um, disclosed their sexuality at bars and taverns. And if they were turned away by staff, they would sue the establishment. And once the Commission on Human Rights ruled that gay individuals had the right to be served in bars, the police raids went down temporarily, that is. So on that morning, on June 28, armed with a warrant, police officers entered Stonewall Inn. They uh, roughed up the, patron, the patrons. They arrested 13 people, also including employees, and they mistreated them. Uh, female officers who would, you know, sus uh, suspect cross-dressers, they would take them to the bathroom and check their sex, which was horrible. So the people were fed up. They, they were fed up with the constant police harassment, discrimination. So they they gathered up around the bar and everybody was becoming agitated. Events unfolded. People were being manhandled and an officer hit a lesbian over the head while he was forcing her into the police van. And a lot of people started, you know, throwing stuff and basically a riot began. So on the one year anniversary of the riots, June 28th, 1970, um, people marched the streets of Manhattan in New York. And it was basically America's first gay pride parade. So on the anniversary of the Stone Riots is this the pride parades. And the parade officials would chant, say aloud, gay is proud. And in 2016, when President Obama was president of the United States, Stonewall Inn was considered a national monument in recognition of the contribution to gay rights. So now we are going to jump to 1993 when Bill Clinton 
who was president of the United States at the time, passed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So what was Don't Ask, Don't Tell and why was it problematic? So in the military, people were not allowed to disclose their sexuality to no one since they didn't allow homosexuals in the ranks. So basically, if you were gay, you could not tell anyone because you would risk getting kicked out of the army or the military. And this was problematic because it didn't allow people to serve the country freely as they are. And another thing that Bill Clinton did that was also problematic was the passing of DOMA in 1996. So DOMA was the Defense of Marriage Act. When homosexuality became more accepted in the U.S., there was, there was a lot of conservative backlash, a lot, which actually forced Bill Clinton to sign the Defense of Marriage Act. The Defense of Marriage Act essentially prohibited the recognition of same-sex same marriage in the eyes of the law. So you cannot marry someone of the same sex legally. so let's go on to something that the LGB community is still fighting for which is the right to adopt so there are, are a couple states that don't allow for people of the same sex to adopt for example um, in Oklahoma Oklahoma actually allows adoption agencies to turn away same-sex couples from adopting adopting or fostering children and this is unfair because you know everyone should have the right to you know adopt a child and take care of that child and just because just because you're part of the LGB community doesn't mean that you shouldn't have that right to take care of a child so that is something that the LGB community is still fighting for. Something else that the LGB community is still fighting against is conversion therapy. Um, the LGB community is still fighting against conversion therapy in the U.S. till this day. So what is conversion therapy? Conversion therapy generally refers to any practice by mental health providers that seek to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. And this is often practiced on minors who lack any legal authority to make their own medical and mental health decisions. So it's mostly children who are going through these conversion therapies and their parents are the one who um, force them to um, take these therapies 
So there's this website called familyequality.org and I've used this uh, map in the past for other projects and it gives you know a lot of maps of different topics and subjects and this one that I have pulled up is states that um, still allow conversion therapy and ones that are legal so there are 20 states that have laws against conversion therapy that ban conversion therapy and there are 26 states that have no laws against conversion therapy which essentially makes them legal makes conversion therapy legal and there's actually one state which is actually North Carolina that partially bans conversion therapy Okay, so that was my episode on the injustice in the LGBT community. Thank you for joining me on this conversation. Next up, we have Melissa Carrada with Injustice Through Empirical Information. So stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of A Queer Road, where we'll be talking about injustices. I know you already heard about some of them with Calixto in our previous episode, but we are going to be talking about impartial info, meaning data or stats, court cases, and laws. I do want to say that I will be using acronyms and abbreviations, so I will go ahead and tell you what they mean so that you are as lost. The most common ones I will use is LGB, it stands for lesbian, gay, and bisexual, and LGBT, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. I will also mention GLSEN, which stands for Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. Okay, now that we covered that, let's jump straight in. I'm Melissa, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation today on A Queer Road. So we're going to be talking about injustice in school and in general in the United States. But let's begin with talking about injustice in school. Oh, and for your information, injustice means violation of right or unfairness. So in school, it's very common and actually very normalized, which is something that shouldn't be normalized, but it's something every queer person has experienced in their life. Being a high school student myself, I have seen this throughout all the years I've attended. So hearing what I'm about to say next isn't something that I'm shocked to hear, which says a lot about our society. Hear this. A nationwide survey of students between the ages of 13 to 22 found that over half of LGBT students felt unsafe at school. In addition, 74.1% of LGBT students were verbally harassed and 36.2% were physically harassed at their schools. No student should ever go through that. This causes students to avoid going to school or even skipping class. A 2013 Glasson National Survey of LGBT youth found that over one-third avoid gender-segregated spaces like bathrooms and locker rooms because they feel unsafe or uncomfortable. These type of unfortunate events always lead to some students harming themselves or even committing suicide. 
In a 2011 study published in the journal, pediatrics found that 21.5% of LGBT youth has committed suicide, compared to 4.2% of non-LGBT youth. Bullying gay students, it's something that is very normalized in a school setting. Though the person making fun of that student doesn't know the effect of those words carried, it's very different for the student that's receiving those harmful comments. Homophobia is common in every school, especially in religious schools where it's even more strict. Homophobia isn't just carried around the students, but even in the administration. For example, in some religious schools, homophobia is codified into school policy. This means that it's like wrong for them, for the students to be queer. So at Lutheran High North in Houston, Texas, that policy states that the school can discontinue enrollment of any student who is found to be quote unquote participating in, promoting, supporting, or condoning homosexual activity or bisexual activity. What type of school policy is this? I I really can't believe that people can be so homophobic to the point where they have to implement it somewhere where students should feel safe and accepted. Homophobia is very common now, but it was even more during the 1900s. In a survey conducted in 1974, researchers found that three quarters of white Americans disapproved of same-sex relationships. They remained the same over the next two decades, but began to fall very rapidly. From 70% in 1973 through 1991, then it reached 62.2% in 1993, 54.3% in 1998, and 43.5% in 2010. Though I know this might seem something that is good, I don't. I want to know what African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, and so on thought. If we were to look at that number now, I can guarantee you that it's way higher now. Especially coming from a family that's really strict between same sex relations, I know half of them would not like the idea of their daughter or son coming out as gay or lesbian. Which really enrages me because I'm a student that's constantly learning about injustice that have happened in our world. So hearing that they aren't ready to accept their their son or daughter and accept them for who they are makes me really angry. And coming from, well, my I'm very fortunate to have a family that's very open-minded. I can't seem to think what other families would think about their, their, their daughter or son. So, students who were openly gay back then suffered through injustice on a daily basis. And those who weren't were always being watched. School dances, which were really popular back then and continue to be, especially prom, this dance is very common now, especially if you want to take out someone in particular, but that was not the case for Aaron Frick. This, this court case that I'm about to tell you is really 
really makes me angry. So I want you to see how America was so closed off back then. Aaron, a student from Cumberland High School, announced that he was going to take a male friend to his prom. Richard B. Lynch, principal of the school, notified Frick that he would not be allowed to do so based on a number of reasons, one of which was the possibility of physical harm to Frick and his guest. Which, let me add, how was that going to cause any physical harm? So, Frick filed a suit in the U.S. District Court for the District of Rhode Island, appealing Lynch's decision. Judge Raymond James Petting eventually ruled in favor of Frick, who did indeed attend the prom with his friend Paul Gilbert. Though the craziest part about this case is that Aaron wasn't queer. But imagine if he was. Simply taking out a friend who was the same gender as you was seen such as a bad thing. Homophobia in school is still an issue in today's society, though we are seeing some progress as we continue to move forward. It's not just experience in school, it's experience throughout the whole world. Most public opinion polls found that Americans thought that same-sex acts were quote-unquote always wrong or quote-unquote wrong most of the time. That gay men and lesbians should not have equal rights with regard to housing, employment, and access to public accommodations. And that lesbians and gay men should be banned from a number of occupations, such as teaching and medicine. A major issue in the world, and not only in America, is homelessness. Don't worry, this is going to tie in. But what people don't know is that majority of homeless people are LGBT young adults. NBC in, and sorry, NBC News reports that there are only 4,000 beds available in the United States for homeless young adults. And only... 350 of them are set up for LGBT teens who are at a greater risk of harassment and assault. Not only that, according to Lost and Found, a homeless center for LGBT teens in Atlanta, Georgia, they said there are only about 48 hours from the time a kid becomes homeless before 33% of youth begin to engage in risky behaviors such as theft drug activity, or selling their bodies for money to survive. Let me tell you something about this. Selling your body shouldn't even be an, an option at all in your youth life. I feel like if I were to hear that without knowing that it was based in America, I would have guessed that this was happening in a third world country, not in the United States. But I bet half of the world doesn't even know what happens to LGBT youth. If parents and even people who don't support the LGBT community were more open to helping and accepting them, we would not be having this issue right now. It infuriates me that the LGBT community are literally being killed just for being them. We are in an era where being comfortable in your own skin is seen as such a bad thing when it shouldn't. That really made me mad because... I don't know why it's so hard for people to accept others for who they are. They shouldn't have a say in someone else's life. 
So I hope that we as a society can start coming together and start support supporting the LGBT community as a whole. Of course, it isn't going to be easy, but I know we can do it. I hope that you, the person who is here in this episode, has learned something from me today. Even if you don't support the LGBT community, I hope that you can start progressing into a more accepting state and notice that no matter your sexuality, we're all humans. We don't have time to be judging or bringing down others. So why waste your time in doing so? Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation and have gained something from it. So, stick around to hear about progress in the LGB community with Calixto Compos in our next episode. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Queer Road. I am Calixto Campos and today we are going to be talking about the progress in the LGB community. In my last episode, we talked about the injustices in the LGB community, but we're going to get into now the progress that the LGB community has made. So we are going to start off with the Proclamation 9457. This proclamation was put in May 31st, 2016. So... What was the proclamation 9457? It was a statement put out that by the Obama administration that basically they support um, the LGBT community. I'm going to read a, a paragraph in the proclamation. Last year's landmark Supreme Court decision guaranteeing marriage equality in all 50 states was a historic victory for the LGBT Americans, ensuring dignity for same-sex couples and greater equality across state lines for every partnership that was not previously recognized under the law, and for every American who was denied their basic civil rights, this monumental ruling instilled newfound hope, affirming the belief that we are all more free when we are treated as equals. In this paragraph, we can see a big step for the U.S. Um, accepting people of the LGBT community because they recognize that everyone should be treated equal and no different just because of their sexual or gender identity. Something else that the Obama administration has done for the LGBT community specifically specifically the LGB youth, was that they support legislative efforts to ban the use of so-called conversion therapy against minors. In my episode where I talked about injustices in the LGB community, I stated that one of the injustices was the use of conversion therapy against minors. And... Oh, the Obama administration has condemned the practice and um, the American Psychological Association and panel, they actually said that conversion therapy is not effective 
it reinforces harmful gender stereotypes and it is not an appropriate mental health treatment. The Obama administration really did help the LGBT community a lot in their in the way that they support um, supported legislations and bills that they passed. One of them being repealing "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." The president signed a bipartisan legislation to repeal "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." I also mentioned this in my injustice episode where Pre President Clinton um, passed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Well, President Obama repealed it. So he repealed it on December 22nd, 2010, allowing gay, lesbian, and bisexual Americans to serve openly in the armed forces without fear of being dismissed from the service because of who they are. And this was really um, great for the LGBT community because now they could serve freely without the fear of being punished. Again, in my last episode, I talked about uh, DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, and the Obama administration also ended DOMA in February 2011 and they said that President Obama and Attorney General announced that the Department of Justice will no longer defend uh, DOMA where DOMA basically said that marriage was just between a man and a woman. So he ended DOMA, which allowed uh, same-sex same couples to, be, um, to get married and be recognized under the law. And in 2015, October 2015, after the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell versus Hodges, um, the Department of Treasury announced proposed regulations implementing the Supreme Court's same-sex marriage decision for federal tax purposes to ensure all individuals be treated equally under law. So by him ending DOMA, it gave an opportunity for the LGBT community to um, get benefits also the same as any other couple and that was a big step for the LGB community as well before July 2014 uh, employers could turn away applicants because of race color religion sex sexual orientation sexual orientation, gender identity, or national origin. But in July 2014, President Obama signed an executive order prohibiting federal contractors from discriminating against any employee or applicant for those reasons. And 
that was really praised because now no one could basically be um, discriminated against because of their uh, sexual orientation or gender identity and they would have the same opportunity as um, anyone else to get um, get a job. So it was really great that President Obama did that and it gave opportunities for everyone. So that is it for my episode of A Queer Road. Thank you for tuning in and listening on this conversation of progress in the LGB community. Next up, we have Dinora Mariano with relevant, credible people that contribute personal anecdotes in the LGB community. So stay tuned for that. Thank you. Hello, thank you for joining me today. My name is Dinora Mariano, and on this episode of Career Road, I will be talking about people who contribute to the LGB community and as well adding existing audio clips. Let's begin with the hero of the lesbian, gay, and bisexual community. A 47-year-old Wall Street analyst made history for the state of California and eventually long United States. Harvey Milk, a hero who was known as a leading political activist for the gay community and was the first openly gay man to be elected in the public office in the United States. He became a pillar and a voice of the voiceless for the community. Although he only served in office for 10 months, he made a change in the world and marked history. He understood that the only way to change the misconceptions about homosexuality was to create a dialogue. A man who came to San Francisco won the hearts to many and forever changed the LGB community. His assassination was just the beginning of the legacy that he will carry. I will begin with the creator of the rainbow flag that represents a worldwide symbol of the LGBT community. Gilbert Baker was an American artist and a gay rights activist. Growing up and in the army, he encountered severe homophobia during his lifetime. After completing his time in the army, he began to create banners and flags for the pro-gay marches where he came across Harvey Milk and asked him if he could create a new symbol that would represent the gay and lesbian political movement. Over the next four decades, his creation would become embraced across the world. The last few minutes of this episode, we will take time and listen to interviews and how they contribute to personal anecdotes on the community. First, we will listen to a man reacting to the Supreme Court's decision and how they all believe that they should be treated like everyone else. It was to the point that LGBTQ Americans deserve to be treated in the workplace the same as everybody else and judged on their talent and their merit and what they contribute and, you know, not on who they're married to and not on their gender identity or, or anything else like that. Now, we will listen to Loretta, who spoke to lesbian and gay youths, where she discussed an ongoing conversation about the LGB rights and civil rights. These issues are important to them, so we will always have our eyes out, we'll always have our eyes open, we'll always be looking out for you, and we always want you to come and tell us what's happening, what your concerns are, what your fears are, and most importantly, how we can help advance the goal of making sure that everyone, everyone is treated equally and fairly in this, in this great country of ours. 
Lastly, we will listen to an interview that discusses the importance of the LGBT representation, how it is very important to acknowledge what people are and who they are. Representation is so important, um, and I think that's what our show does incredibly well. And there's people of all different ethnicities and all different ages and all different sexualities on the show. Um, and if you see yourself on screen, um, then that's such a huge boost for you as a person in the world. So I think it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Career Road and hope you join me once again on the next episode. The next episode, we will be talking about the status of the LGB community. Thank you. Hello, my name is Zeno Mariano, and thank you once again for joining me on another episode of Career Road. For this episode, I will be talking about the status of the LGB community and what is being done and what is still left to do. Let's begin with same-sex marriage. This had been a central right fought by the LGB community. The first gay wedding took place in the United States in 1969. It was unfortunately not recognized as legal. Sooner or later, several gay couples would soon sue the state of Hawaii when they were denied their marriage license. In 1996, President Clinton signed a Defense of Marriage Act, but same-sex marriage was not recognized. Slowly, one by one, each state began to change its laws. In 2011, James Obergefell sues the state of Ohio because they would not put his name under his husband's death certificate. Before all of this, they traveled to Maryland to get married before his husband passed away because the state of Ohio did not recognize same-sex marriage, and Maryland did. He sued the state of Ohio because it violated the 14th Amendment of the Constitution and the Equal Protection Clause, which meant that the government cannot pass laws with the idea to discriminate against a certain group of people. He took his case to the Supreme Court and they accepted his case. The acceptance rate on the Supreme Court is very low and this was a big deal. In the end, on June 26, 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court, with a 5-4 decision, gave same-sex marriage legal across the United States, which gave married sex couples the same legal rights and benefits as married heterosexual couples. As time progressed, protests and riots were effective in bringing attention to issues of human rights, but did not succeed enough to create laws that would help the battle of the LGB community. But many organizations and groups were being formed, such as a well-known event that occurs yearly, Pride Parade. It began as a remembrance and recognition of harassment and prejudice. It first took place in 1970 in Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City, a year after the Stonewall Riots. The parade is a way for the LGBT community to celebrate its diversity. There have been many advancements around the world like protecting the LGB community by setting non-discrimination policies to protect them. This protects them to only have the access to the same job opportunities or same services as others, but to feel safe and also have access to all the goods and services a person needs in order to live and to not feel discriminated. An example to this could be ACA, the Affordable Care Act, which helps address this issue in Title IX, which bans discrimination based on sex and should not be denying the benefits under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. As there have been many advancements to this community, there are quite a few things that are still left to do to help the LGBT community. 
Their health is something that should be talked about more. One in four people develop a mental health problem in their life, whereas over 300 million people suffer through depression, and the LGBT community has a high percentage on this. The LGBT community has a high risk on this rather than non-LGBT population. They are more prone to drugs, suicide, and any mental health condition due to being exposed to stigma and discrimination. This is critical public health concern and should be alarming to others. There should be clubs or groups that everyone should be able to attend that would help lower the percentage. This community is also associated with violence, which includes bullying, harassment, or even physical assault, but also the lack of support from their parents and friends. They have a higher rate of suicide because of their fear, hate they experience, and rejection from friends and family. Not being accepted is too much to handle from their family members and friends, or kicked out has a huge impact on their lives. Providing health care of the LGBT community is still an issue. Although ACA, the Affordable Care Act, helped address this issue, people still feel discriminated. All people should be able to access medical care without any worries or fear of being denied service. There should be more coverage for the LGBT community in the United States and more organizations to alarm others of this problem. Though progress is slow, nothing will be done unless we do otherwise. As Harvey Milk said, quote, we will not win our rights by staying quiet in our closets, end quote. It takes patience, but in the end, a little progress each day adds up to big results. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Queer Road. Please stick around to the ultimate goal of the LGBT community with Melissa Carrada. Thank you for joining me today on this last episode of A Queer Road. We will be talking about what the ultimate goal is for the LGBT community. Goals are things you want to accomplish for yourself or for a specific community. I do want to say that I will be using some acronyms and abbreviations, so I will go ahead and tell you what they mean. The most common ones I will use is LGB, it stands for Lesbian, Gay, and Bisexual, and LGBT, which stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender. I will also mention GLSEN, which stands for Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. Now that we have covered that, let's jump straight in. I'm Melissa, and hope you enjoy our last episode. I know that there isn't just one specific goal for the entire LGBT community, but the main one that should be accomplished is equal rights. I know you might think that equality is included for everyone, but in reality, it's not. The problem begins dating back to the 1900s where the LGBT community was not accepted for who they were. It might be written on a piece of paper, but it's not written in everyone's minds. We need to promote a culture of non-discrimination and acceptance, emphasizing that LGBT rights are human rights as well, in schools, universities, and wider society. This is something that we shouldn't have to be accomplishing at this time. Especially in this era, equality should be basically common sense. I just don't know why it's so hard for individuals to accept others for who they are. This is very common in schools, especially in our third episode I talk about injustice in school, which really says a lot about our society, that even though we think homophobia is carried around only in older generations, it's still very prominent in newer generations, which is really shocking. 
I know because we as a Z generation, which are students currently in middle school and high school students, are seen as the most open-minded group of people when it comes to LGBT rights and other groups, but that can only be half of the students in Z generation because the most homophobic individuals are part of my generation. Like I said, I've had first-hand experiencing homophobia in my school and society. We need to provide guidance and training for teachers and counselors on how to deal sensitively with LGBT students and students who are questioning their sexual orientation and gender identity. We can accomplish this by educating the administration and other students about LGBT issues, creating safe spaces, like Lesson Safe Space Campaign. If you guys didn't know, a safe space is a place where people can feel free to express their points of view and be themselves without fear of being mocked or belittled, which is something very important to students as we are still learning how to express ourselves. Though, once again, we don't only need to accomplish these goals in school, but in our society as a whole. LGBT people are always left behind in everything when it comes to housing, employment, and healthcare. Especially in healthcare, we need to create safe spaces and services that address the wider health needs of LGBT people by developing services that meet the specific needs of LGBT people, including HIV, which means human immunodeficiency virus, and other STI, which means sexually transmitted diseases. We need to provide prevention, treatment, care, and support services for all LGBT. But where are you going to find all this money to pay for services for these type of things? Exclusion and discrimination make it harder for LGBT people to earn money, stay secure, and pursue their goals. Actions that could help could be conducting research for a better understanding of how LGBT people are discriminated against economically so that we as humans can help one another. All these types of issues against LGBT individuals can lead them to becoming depressed, which then can lead to attempting suicide, which is very high compared to straight individuals. Though that's not the only threats they face, we need to significantly reduce all forms of violence and related death threats. You might ask yourself what type of people would kill others just for being queer. That's what I want to know too. Why are people so mad that others are just being who they are? I will never understand why it's so hard to just mind your own business. I don't know how gays can affect other people's lives when they are just humans as well. We need to come together as a whole and stop discrimination against the LGB community and fight for their equality. That's it. That's the goal. Equality. So, I want to end this episode by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you have learned something from us and that it has opened your mind to seeing all these issues that LGB community face and how we can help them overcome them. So thank you for joining us on a queer road. Though the road is very bumpy at times, we can together make it smoother. Thank you for listening once again.